Philippians 4, 8 to 14. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The God of peace will be with you. I was very glad in the Lord because now at last you have shown concern for me again. Of course, you were always concerned but had no way to show it. I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and of having more than enough. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all these things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Still you've done well to share my distress. The word of the Lord. Hoping to give Miley a, a bit of a chance. It'd be nice to have a little worship before the sermon, but uh, no worries, we can... You know what? Let's just treat this as the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to have a reflection time after the sermon. And so... Now we can listen, and then we can just allow our hearts to be talked to. Okay, uh, let's just start with prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here uh, to your church amongst us. We open our hearts, and we ask that you show us the things you want us to release to you, and you do the work in us that, that we allow you to do. And so please, uh, please be near us, please be with us, Encourage us, heal us, and love us. And uh, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, so, last week we were in uh, the early part of chap this chapter of Philippians. And this week we're going to wrap up this chapter and also our whole summer series, Life in Christ. And so the question that comes to me this morning is what does it mean to be a good person? To live a good life, doing our part for society, doing the right thing? If we were to go to a random person in the street uh, and ask them, are you a good person? I think most people would say yes. Uh, most reasonable people in any community in America would say they consider themselves a good person uh, irrespective of social status wealth or poverty religion political affiliation good health bad health there's a general theme that americans would like to do good and be seen as good people you're better now good enough <laughs> okay Okay, yeah, we'll continue with the sermon, then we'll have the worship after. Okay, so if you asked these people, our people, us, random people in the street, what it means to be good, they might speak about things like, uh, like kindness, uh, like charity, um, politeness, being a friend, keeping the law, paying their taxes, or uh, helping an old lady with her shopping. Don't look at me like that earlier. Okay. 
Um, they might talk about wanting to care for people, uh, care for their communities, uh, care for those less fortunate thems than themselves, uh, care for the nation, or maybe even care for the planet. They might speak about virtues such as loyalty and, and honesty and trustworthiness. They may speak of goodness as the absence of certain bad qualities such as hatred or racism or jealousy, or greed, selfishness or, or being judgmental. And these qualities, this concept of goodness, it's not new or unique to Americans. You'd be surprised, but most people in the world tend to want to try and be good people. And this is just as true as it was back in Paul's day and particularly so in a culture so heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. And a lot of Greek philosophy is, you know, informs a lot of the way people think today. And remember that the church in Philippi was in Macedonia, which is a city in ancient Greece. And just like today, people were concerned with having meaning and purpose in their lives. And if we were to re remove a few references to God from this passage this morning, this could be the content of any motivational speech or self-help podcast that we might hear today. Indeed, much of Western civilization would argue that these are good enough rules to live by. You know, do we even need God? Is he obsolete? Just an old-fashioned concept that has no place in the modern world. And reading today's passage might seem like Paul is giving a moral sermon. You know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Be content with what you have. Live within your means. And if you were to do a fast, light reading, this might be the message you come away with. But this would give us a, a shallow, weak theology although there are many Christians today who would be satisfied with just this definition of Christianity. But if we slow it down a bit and we read closer, we see that Paul is calling us to something much, much deeper. So last week's passage was about having God central to every thought and every circumstance. And Paul is saying to the Philippians that what is good in society, in, in their society, is also good in God's eyes. The key is that he's inviting them to see this goodness from the perspective of Jesus. Have you noticed how much easier life is to live when we do it with other people? Isn't it nice to, to share life with, with friends and family? When we have hard times, it's, it's nice to have someone looking out for us, and bringing us a meal when we're sick and uh, having a phone call to talk about a bad day. And isn't it also nice to share in the good times with others, to celebrate the birth of a child, graduating high school or college, getting a new job, or something as simple as enjoying a well-planted garden? We're created for community, community with each other, but also communion with our God. The next few verses are about Paul sharing with his friends the good times and bad, and he's thanking them for sharing life with him. He's also saying to them to not feel bad about not being able to be there with him all the time in his hardship. And so verses 10 through 14 
um, it, it, this is where he's talking about that. And maybe I'll get, um, Georgia, do you mind popping up? Probably 12 to 14, I think, on your slides. Uh, they can be, these verses can be a little difficult to, for us to understand through, through our modern lens, the way we look at modern society. And so this is where Paul is saying that he, is, um, he can be content in good times and content in, in bad times. And I guess the question comes to mind, is Paul trying to be stoic? Saying that he is self-sufficient in whatever his circumstances are, whether good or bad. And that while he appreciates the support of the Philippian church, he doesn't really need it. And I would say certainly some people have interpreted this passage this way, maybe in an isolationist sense. I am an island. I can be self-sufficient. I shall make do with whatever I have. And they see this as a, as a show of strength, a demonstration of good character. But Paul is not saying that. He says, I have learned to be content with what I have, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of having abundance and of having need because I have Christ in me. I am content because Christ is in me. He strengthens me in both times of plenty and in times of want. And this is the very opposite of self-sufficiency. Paul's sufficiency, or in other words, his ability to manage or to cope, comes from Christ, not from himself. And if we go back to Judy's sermon on the chapter 1 of Philippians, back probably two months ago now, we recall that Paul sees his life as in Christ, not separate from Christ, not Christ here, me here, but he sees himself in Christ. He doesn't live his life for himself, but he lives in Christ for Christ. Whether he has plenty or whether he has poverty is immaterial. Christ is his sufficiency and all that he needs. And that's why being good is not enough to consider ourselves Christians. We need to have Christ living in us, present in us, in our thoughts, in our actions, defining our identity. Okay, So when we say we are Christians, our identity, the badge we have, uh, says we are in Christ. You, know, you could think about it like saying, uh, I am an American, I live in America, I am born here, I have a sense that this is where I am, that is part of my identity. Maybe I'm a Washingtonian, maybe I'm not because I'm a bit of a transplant, but some of you who've lived here all your life, you know, that's your identity, that's who you are. And this is what Paul is saying, is that being in Christ is part of your identity, it's who you are, I am his, I am in him. Now, Verse 13 is what I would call a fridge, uh, fridge magnet verse, or a t-shirt slogan verse. And a nice slogan that is motivational, and I can quote it, whenever I feel inadequate. In our lovely traditional translations, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Yay. And it's often used as motivation or encouragement to try harder because God somehow gives me strength to try harder. I can climb large mountains, conquer worlds, and achieve greatness because God is giving me superhuman strength. Athletes write this verse on their shoes. Students use it as they prep for a test. The sick hold on to it as a, as a promise that they will be healed. And this verse is often used as a promise that if we do our part, then God will give us what we're after. The problem is, 
this is not true. God never promises all our earthly problems will be taken away or fixed. It doesn't matter how much we pray, believe, quote the Bible, bad things will still happen. You'll lose the game. You'll flunk the test. You may have to live with your illness for the rest of your life. Life will happen to us. If we read this verse in context, as we've done today, we understand it quite differently. This verse isn't a promise that things will go your way. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It's hope in the midst of our struggles and trials. Paul is telling the Philippian church that he has learned how to be content regardless of his circumstances, whether he is hungry or well-fed, free or in prison, having much or having nothing, he is content, and not based on his circumstances, but rather on a person, Jesus. And that's what he's trying to convey in his letter here, that we can be at peace, we can have joy, and be content regardless of our circumstances. If we have Jesus and nothing else, we have enough. We have more than enough. And Paul would know what he's talking about because he's writing these words from a first century prison cell. So not the nice comfy prisons we have today where you get fed and it keeps you reasonably warm. In those days, you were supposed to look after yourself in prison. You would rely on people bringing you food and clothing and things like that. So he's not in a particularly great place and yet he is saying, I am content in my circumstance because of Jesus. He knows he can't rely on himself. He knows he needs Jesus. And he knows he can endure all things, all circumstances, because Christ strengthens him. So this verse is not a war cry to go and conquer. It's not motivation to achieve success professionally, academically, or on the sports field. It's not written to challenge the strong to become even greater. It's written to encourage the weak and those that find themselves in difficult circumstances. And it's a reminder and an encouragement that even though life may be tough, God is with us. And so we're able to be content and we're able to be peaceful and have a peaceful heart in all circumstances because Christ is in us. Now, Normally, our, I, the Common English Bible, the version that we use for our scriptures, sometimes I like it, sometimes I prefer the traditional versions, as you often hear me say. Today, I really like the Common English Bible translation of this verse. Before, I said that the traditional version we learnt, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's look at today's one. I can endure all things because Christ strengthens me. And in our modern language, this is actually most accurate back to the Greek that Paul wrote in. And so it is about endurance, and we can endure because Christ is with us. Now, we usually think about needing God's strength and presence in hard times, but have you ever thought about needing God's strength and presence in good times? Studies have shown that most people who become Christians as adults in America and that's as opposed to growing up in the church, like uh, these ones here, um, they come to become Christians, they come to know God when they have everything materially that they need. But they realize they have this nagging sense of something missing. I have everything I want, 
and yet I still feel like I have no purpose in life. Is this all there is? Why am I here? Is this as good as it gets? What they're missing is a sense of connection with their creator. We were created to worship God and be in relationship with him, and we need him all the time, regardless of our circumstances. So the challenge that I would put to us today is to ask ourselves whether we have drifted away from knowing that we need God. Many of us have been Christians for years, even decades. We generally have everything we need. We are living a reasonably good Christian life. We attend church quite regularly. The question is, as my daughter Zoe might say, have we become Sunday Christians who only think about God on Sunday mornings? Remember back to those first days when you first became a Christian. Remember that, that first passion, that first love, that excitement as you discovered more about God and how much he loved you and how much you wanted to please him. And remember how much he was part of every thought that you had and how often you prayed. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was challenged to ask myself this. I always say the first person I ever preached to is myself. <laughs> uh, is God a convenient addition to my life? Or is he the core of everything I am and that I do? And I would encourage you to consider the same question. So, let's pray and then let's have Miley come and play. And I guess just as we sing the words, don't just sing the words, think, I'm singing it to a God. What's, what's going on with me and God? And just let that settle. And in fact, in some ways it's good that we're having three songs at the end rather than just our one because it gives a little more time for the, the coffee to percolate, for the stew to, to, to brew. So let's, um, let's pray. God, thank you. That's okay. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your care and your love, your infinite love. Thank you that there is nothing we can do to make you love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make you love us less. And so we just resubmit ourselves to you, we recommit ourselves to you, and we say, Jesus, we want you to be at the center and the core of everything we are and everything we do. Amen.